We've talked about launches several times on this podcast in the past. We've covered what to do before launch, launch strategies, and we've spoken with lots of copywriters who shared their ideas for successful launches with us. But launching has a dark side. There's an all or nothing aspect to them, and clients who depend on launches need them to go well, or they may never reach their revenue goals for the year. And sometimes when they go poorly, it can devastate the business. It definitely happens. It happens to the best launch copywriters. And to end that dependence on launching, a lot of clients turn to evergreen funnels. But evergreen funnels have some drawbacks too, like the lack of urgency around the buying decision. There's no deadline, no real deadline to uh, enforce that decision to buy. I'm Rob Marsh, one of the founders of the Copywriter Club, and on today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, my co-founder, Kira Hug, and I interviewed copywriter and evergreen funnel strategist, Abby Prendergast. Abby shared what she does to write and build evergreen funnels for her clients, including how she creates real urgency, soft urgency, that outpulls the traditional tactics like countdown timers that most launches use. Actually, she shared a lot more than that, so you're definitely going to want to hear what she had to say. But first, we're going to London for a one-day in-real-life event this October 25th, and we'd love to see you while we're there. We've already lined up a few great speakers, including email hero and funnel specialist Kennedy. You may have heard him on our podcast this past spring. That was episode number 342. He's an amazing speaker and will we'll share a ton of great information about email. Mindset coach Linda Perry will be there. Linda's been on our podcast several different times. She's a coach in our think tank, and she's the person that I trust with anything mindset. Her approach is phenomenal. Not so much woo, very practical and applicable. And Kira and I will obviously be there. We're going to share other speakers as we get closer to the event. This isn't like our big events of the past. It's going to be smaller. It's going to be in a, a smaller room, more intimate, and seats are definitely going to sell out. So if you want more information about this event, go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash London, where you'll find all the details and you can buy your ticket now. And with that, let's hear what Abby had to share with us about Evergreen Funnels. I have always freelanced. So when I was a teenager, I found out that you can make money online. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to figure out how to do that. So I joined Upwork um, and I did those kind of lousy two cents a word jobs. Um, and I remember I published my A-level notes <laughs> as an ebook because I was just like, how, how can I, how can I make money online? Um, but I, I mean, so then I went to university and while I was at university in my second year, I did an internship in China and that was with um, a PR company. And I, it started out, I was doing content editing, but it kind of shifted into copywriting. That's the first time I kind of heard that word, didn't really understand what it was, um, as I don't think most copywriters do when they start out. Um, and then at the end of that internship, I said, look, I can see you've you know, you're having a lot of trouble with the interns trying to get the output you want. Why don't you just stop the intern program and just hire me freelance? I can do this job from England. Um, so I did. They said yes. Um, and 
I carried on doing that throughout my degree. I got another gig on Upwork that was kind of giving me sustainable income. And then when I graduated and everyone was asking me, what if, what am I going to do next? So I was like, do you know, what? I think I'm just going to keep doing this. Uh, and I did. And I mean, at the time, my goal was I just wanted to travel. That was it. So I was like, I just need to be making enough, enough money that I can travel. Um, I was in Southeast Asia, didn't need to be making that much money. But as it went on, I just kind of, kept earning more and more and I was like just all yeah all of a sudden I'm I'm like do you know what? I th- I could just do this forever and yeah um do you want me to get going or do you want- <laughs> well, no let's let's uh I got a couple of questions we can jump in first question when you sold the notes for your a-levels <laughs> who bought like or how many did you sell and- I didn't sell loads but I made a couple of hundred quid which you know when when you're 17 a, and absolutely that's great it was awesome because I was like, okay, well, flights at the moment are only 30 quid to Barcelona. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to stay in hostels. And I mean, I I kind of just was always looking for opportunities wherever they would come. So like I remember back then, um, I was offering website copy and social media in exchange for hostel stays and things like that. So it was just any any chance I could get to be any to to write and to travel that was what I wanted to do and you mentioned that you were on Upwork but let's talk about those first couple of clients because it it sounds like it wasn't just Upwork but you were finding clients like how did you go about pitching identifying who you wanted to work with I know uh, oftentimes when we're starting out it's like anything that comes in I'll take it but you still got to find the anything that comes in Sure. Well, the first client I got on the first good client I got an artwork. Um, I say good <laughs> was it was six dollars an article. Um, but I it was only it was two hundred words, and I was writing about film, TV, travel. So it was quite fun, and I realized um, I could actually churn out like nine in an hour. I was kind of like. Uh, chat GPT in human form I guess just <laughs> pumping out this not not amazing content but I you know I was doing it and I was actually making money from that and then I think the first so other than the internship job um I think the first kind of proper copywriting job where I actually ended up pitching was um so I was teaching chess to primary school children just as like a part-time thing after I graduated. I love chess, um, was kind of the perfect job. And um, this was just a couple of hours a week, but I noticed that the company had no social media presence. Um, and so I just reached out and I said, look, you're like this fantastic company and I wish this program was in more schools. So what can I do to help you get into more schools? So I started on the social media and as it went on, I ended up doing their web copy, I ended up putting on an event for them and promoting that. And then through that, I got referrals to other, you know, once you get the referrals, it kind of builds up. Um, and then, yeah, I got booted off Upwork um, in 2020, lost that client because it was all in person, lost my main client because I guess the pandemic just hit everyone. Um, and then I started finding clients in Facebook groups and that was a really big pivot for me. Um I think the first thing I did was get a a freebie from Coffee Hackers, I think it was, that was just like um, ways to, to optimize a landing page. And I just, I printed it off and I just posted it in a Facebook group, I'm doing free audits. And I had about 50 people come to me and I just literally went through the, the checklist um, and gave them feedback. And from that, I I got loads of gigs coming in. They weren't, you know, they weren't a lot of money there were maybe like 200 quid for a website but um 
based on my skill at the time, that was fine. I just wanted the experience. And then 2021, after that, then it was just kind of overnight, 10k months, um, and just kind of grew from there. Awesome. So um, going back to Upwork, you, you said, yeah. I also was kicked off Upwork, but I was never really on it. I was just set up my profile and then I got kicked off. So it sounds oh, like you, okay. you actually had some success and were able to use it before you got kicked off. Can you, are you open to sharing what happened there? I, I think for yeah. me, my profile had too many links and I was like trying to optimize it too much. And so I got kicked off. I think that's why I got kicked off. But what happened to you? I can tell you I get kicked off and it's because I broke the rules because I did not, I was not happy paying a 20% fee on my $6 an article. So I took that contract off and then um, I think I I just decided I was going to, yeah, take contracts off um, and that's why I got picked off. But it, I'm glad it happened because I know people have a lot of success on Upwork and I do see people making really good money, but I wasn't that person. I was the person scraping the barrel for whatever I could get. Um, and it was fantastic when I was a teenager and well, when I, later when I was just backpacking because, you know, if, if even if it's just like 20 bucks, like when you're in Vietnam, that's your accommodation, your food for the day. And that's that's what I wanted. And it wasn't kind of until I was introduced to that world where people are making good money um, writing coffee. And like when I remember seeing your website, Kira, and being like, wow, this isn't what I'm doing, but um, this is amazing. And I want that. And I started, I kind of shifted and made the pivot like, okay, I don't just want to scrape the barrel anymore. I want to have a business and I want to write coffee and I want to be good at what I do. What, what else helped you make that mindset shift? Because that's a big shift from like, yes, I'm really happy to get this $20. It will go a long way to oh, I see what other people are making and I want that for myself too. And along with that shift, like what did you do? You mentioned education, up leveling your skill set with courses, but what else did you do during that time? Yeah, good question. So I think like with the pandemic, I couldn't travel. Um, so I was no longer just backpacking and writing to be able to travel. And um I so I had to think okay well what else am I going to do in this time I remember reading the sales page um and just feeling like it was speaking to me and I think that experience that it was it was too twofold really so the fact that it it was this program filled with copywriters making really good money and that made me think okay I want some of that because I'm not satisfied scraping the barrel when I'm literally struggling to pay rent in Hove <laughs> versus traveling but it was also the experience of reading that sales page um like just feeling so understood and motivated into action and I was I think 24 or 25 at the time and I'd never invested in anything that wasn't the mindset I had um, but I was like, do you know what? I'm going to pay a hundred a month. And I know that none of my friends will understand this, but I, I really just believe this is the right thing to do. And that feeling was so exciting and I felt so empowered. And suddenly I didn't want to write these crappy sales pages anymore, which were just, you know, I had the Dan Kennedy or the direct response pro marketing books that I've been learning from. And I was like, I want to provide this experience to people because it feels amazing. And you can actually empower people to change their life. And so it, it was that wanting, that's kind of what motivated me to get really good at my craft. Um, and then, yeah, just 
seeing the people making more money and realizing I wanted like where I was at that point um and with the not traveling I wanted a career um and does that answer your question that's yeah for sure so you mentioned that uh friends wouldn't understand you know spending on something like this were you getting pushback from friends family saying get a real job or oh I mean I'm not really hasn't heard that but I mean but that's how I saw myself I was just kind of like this scrappy freelancer that stayed in hostels and lived out of a backpack. And that was awesome. I loved it. A month later, I'm doing 10K a month and I'm chatting with my friends and I'm like, I'm actually, I'm making really good money. And I, you know, I feel, I feel like I have a career now and it's really weird because like, and it took me a while for my self-perception to like catch up. Um, Yeah, it was, I just... I was no longer a freelancer. I was thinking like a business person. And I think that's a shift that kind of everyone has to make at some point if they really want to make the freelancing work that, yeah, you can't, maybe can't think of yourself as a freelancer. Okay. So that's the mindset shift. Let's talk about the shifts that you made in your business then. What, how did you change, you know, your website or your products, your approach to finding clients? Um, The first thing I did was I, so I had a job at an agency I'm a contract position, which was, I think, 25 an hour or something. And I left that because I was like, I can't make the kind of money I want to make if I'm still doing a 25 hour position. Um, so that really pushed me to go out and get clients. Um, I still I still was contracting and I actually I still do sometimes. I think I, I enjoy having that stability. Um, but it was I think just having the, the training to begin with I was still charging pretty similar but now I was getting results so like I charged six hundred dollars for a sales page and that course creator their conversions doubled they made a lot more money and I could now talk about that so the next sales page I could charge a thousand and then after that two thousand so um I think it was the not rushing to charge a lot more but actually implementing what I was learning to get the results and then just talking about it that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And can you go back and talk a little bit more about Facebook groups? I feel like we skipped over that, but it sounds like that was a big part of your marketing and client acquisition for a while. So what did that look like? And yeah, and I'm interested too, like what is working today uh, that's relevant to copywriters and something they could use? Yeah. I mean, I, all of my biggest clients pretty much have come, I'd say 9% of my good projects over the last couple of years have come from Facebook groups which I think surprises people um because they don't have a good reputation on there for like actually landing profitable clients um I think so to begin with it was VIP days were what I wanted to sell um and so I was charging I think 1500 for a VIP day and that wasn't out of budget for a lot of the course creators that were in there um just in various Facebook groups like Amy Porterfield's one at the time like just any Facebook group which was for course creators really and I would just post in there um and talk about just advice that was relevant to them and share kind of studies and anything that would make them think I was an expert and I did this um even three days ago I did uh I did this in the ClickFunnels group and I've had three people reach out to me someone hired me for a VIP day um, and then I got chatting to the founder of another Facebook group and then they're looking to bring me on for like a huge, um, potentially like multi five figure project um, just 
from talking about yeah copywriting and yeah what it, what it could do for their business well let's get even more specific because i mm. think there could be copywriters listening who are like okay i'm posting a group <laughs> I feel like I'm in decent groups. Um, ClickFunnels, definitely a good group to be in. But what are you sharing? If you can share some examples of like, yeah, what specifically. I think like not so much doing just the kind of same old how tos. Um, like, I think something that's helped me maybe I'm trying to get specific here is picking a fight with something. So, in the click funnels, you get a lot of people talking about how effective urgency is. And it's all like, oh, add countdown times, da, 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 da. And I noticed that a lot of people, um, it, it wasn't it's, it wasn't aligned with them and they felt kind of, they didn't want to be using all this high intense urgency. Um, I, I personally, I don't love it. Like I, I find it, it doesn't sit right with me. Um, so I shared a case study I did where I worked with a course creator and we, and ran three versions of her webinar, one with no urgency, uh, one with high urgency, where it was a seven-day window, um, open cart, open close, um, sorry, open cart, close cart, and then a third one where it was a discount for those seven days, and we found that soft urgency performed the best, um, so it was 0% for no urgency, 3% for high urgency, 5% for the softer discount urgency. So I just shared that in the group. Um, and people were really interested in that. And they were like, this is so refreshing, because um, I thought I had to have like this high urgency and um, t- telling people they can't get the offer after the discount's gone and that kind of thing. So they they liked that. Um, and it was different to what other people were posting. Yeah, that that seems really different. In fact, I, I can almost hear people say, oh, well, yeah, of course that's going to work because Abby has a case study, but I don't have those clients yet, or I don't have that kind of case study. So what could I share? And I know you you shared the example, you know, as you got started with, hey, I can do an audit for you. Mm. What other kind of content would you think through, you know, if you didn't have a case study to share, how would you differentiate that content in a way that it's not the same as everybody else? Sure. I mean, I would say get a case study, like do a bit of work for free on like a project that there's a potential there case studies are so powerful for generating clients um or do it for yourself like um do some social posts test different things like there's always opportunities to get a case study it doesn't have to be like you worked for a million dollar course creator and double their conversions you know um or dig into research that's already there um actually go to go to um like marketing chef or a deep dive and find original um case studies and marketing material and use use it to to um pick a fight with um yeah with what everyone else is saying in the click funnels group like go through and be like what keeps coming up and how can i offer an alternative angle and back it with research and people will look at you as an expert yeah i love i love that approach um so Let's fast forward to what you're doing today and mm. touch on what you do. You specialize in evergreen funnels, which I'm excited to talk about. Uh, and But let's just talk about like, how did you end up niching in that? How did you get to that point? And then we can talk about that world and what it looks like today. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's go back to 2020. So pandemic hit, didn't have any clients. And 
um, in the Facebook group, uh, the copywriting jobs one, actually, I got a job with a or a, a retainer with a uh, launch agency that were running ads for course creators. And that was the first time I was introduced to the world of online courses. And I was like, what is this? It is so cool. These are people that are making money. They don't have any material costs and they're like making like $500 from a course they created. And that blew my mind. I mean, I think, you know, like nowadays people just seem to be used to them. But when I first was introduced to that, it was a massive like <laughs> a mind blow moment. Um, so I just... I loved writing with these course creators because I thought they were geniuses. <laughs> um, and then through that, I yeah, I just was doing, yeah, so working with more and more course creators, I worked with a couple of other launch agencies. Um, again, like with the contracting, I think it's, it's such a great way to learn from people above you and also to produce a lot of content in a short time. So I hustled freaking hard in like 2021. Um, I must have written about 30 sales pages that year, literally hundreds of emails. Um, but it accelerated my kind of my learning. Um, and I like having that opportunity. And that's, I think, what allowed me to slow down um, because I had that. So yeah, I just, I gradually niched then into just working for course creators. And then I realized the ones I enjoyed working for the most were the ones that kind of taught people how to make money doing something they love. So the more creative ones, like how to make money copywriting, how to make money blogging, that kind of thing. Um, and then, so yeah, I'll pause there. So that was niching into course creators. Then the evergreen, do you want me to jump into that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. let's keep going. <laughs> okay, so I worked on a live launch um, and... It didn't go as we planned. It was with a client I ended up becoming good friends with. Um, and we both really poured our heart and soul into it. She poured thousands of dollars into it. Um, and we we did everything. Like we pulled out all the stops. So we did the, the um, reminders to show up live, um, like where you can add the link to your calendar, like every, every little thing we could think of to in make sure we had our high shot rates. I wrote all the copy for it. She got an amazing designer. I was really confident it would convert. Um, and on the day of the first webinar, 15 out of 500 people showed. And that's I, yeah, that, that's, that is brutal. We've, we've seen numbers <laughs> like that in the, not necessarily yeah. with our stuff, but like with clients and stuff. And it is disheartening. Yeah. I was gobsmacked. I I just couldn't believe it. And she had to had webinars booked for the next few days. It's like, how do you how do you go into your next webinar when you're expecting like a 300 people person chart rate? Because we were expecting not just average, not just like the 40% average. We we're expecting above that because we'd sent like all these nurture emails and we'd just done everything. Um, so after that, I was like. I, I don't want to work on live launches anymore because it's it's too much pressure. It feels awful when it doesn't work out. And then obviously she's she's in this position where she's poured all this money into a live launch under thinking that it's going to be her payday for the next six months and she's lost money. So I'd already done worked on some Evergreen Finals and I liked it, but that moment really solidified for me that I to help people create sustainable predictable cash flow I don't want to um I I can't put myself through it I'm 
sensitive I get I really get invested in my client success and I I was devastated I cried my eyes out for days because I just couldn't believe it happened and I don't want to put myself through that again and I don't want to be part of putting anyone else through that again so now it's all evergreen it's how can we create consistent cash flow and how can we optimize it so that it continues to produce predictable results yeah I mean I appreciate you sharing that story because it's always good to talk about the hard launches. And, and if you're working in the launch space, you end up working on launches that do not go well. doesn't matter how skilled you are. They just don't. So how did you pivot with that client? I'm just curious, like when you're dealing with a client, your confidence has been shot. And then, you know, that client is dealing with their own head trash. Did you offer to do something to help? Or were you just like, okay, this... I'm going to learn my lessons and I'm going to move on and create the next package, which will focus on evergreen. Um, We tried to salvage it. I mean, I I put together her report um, of everything that I I could kind of glean from that launch. I mean, it's difficult because when you're dealing with a 3% conversion rate, um, a 3% like show up rate, sorry, on the webinar, it's like, it's, it's difficult to explain that because it's like, is it the mess? You know, I don't think it can't be the messaging. Like, what is it? So I I did my best um, and I gave her the insights and um, I did help her kind of get started with going evergreen off the back of that. But then she just disappeared off the grid. I mean, understandably, like, because, yeah. yeah, it was painful. Oh, oh, man. Oh, man. That's rough. So, so yeah, let, let's talk then about Evergreen. So mm-hmm. assuming that there are copywriters who have worked on launches that did not go as well as we had hoped, and maybe we want to be thinking about, okay, how can we help our clients make that shift to Evergreen? What should we be thinking about when we build that Evergreen funnel? What are all, you know, what are the pieces? Let's, let's talk about all of it. Okay. I would love to talk about that. Um, so I think the first question to ask yourself is what is it about? about live launches that are so effective because they they are when they go well it's an amazing payday for everyone involved um and the three the three pillars I kind of identified would be the urgency um you know as as much as I hate hate how well urgency works it does um it's a it's an opportunity and there's a limited time window and the offer um, it's a unique offer that goes away unless you buy within that. Um, and then the community, there's that magical moment um, on a live webinar where people are commenting saying, I bought, I bought, and you get caught up in that and um, people want to join in. And that's so there's that element, the community, and then the intimacy of the fact that it is a coach showing up, um, talking to the audience directly, answering questions. Um, so each of those pillars, can be leveraged in an evergreen funnel um you can do a webinar you don't need to pretend it's live and in fact i really encourage people not to pretend it's live so i know with tools like easy webinar you can get people to um like pick a later date um i've actually found doing that decreases conversions um particularly in courses that are marketed to other entrepreneurs because people people have wised up to it and they don't like to feel like they're being manipulated um, so not having that, just having on demand. And I've actually found that watch rates are higher when it's on demand. Um, the, I think, was it eWebinar did a study, um, and it was 65% conversions on the on demand webinars versus the 40% for live. So that solved my problem that I'd had with this previous client of getting the, the sharp rate. So 
Um, yeah, and then as far as intimacy and community, um, I think building like messaging is just so important for these evergreen funnels. Um, you can't rely on kind of on the hype of a live launch. It, it, your messaging has to do their heavy lifting. So voice of customer um, for me is super important because you can create a community if you use voice of customer. You can make people feel like you understand them and that they're part of, they want to be part of your world. Um, and you can, yeah, and like the same with the intimacy, you can you can create that, that you're speaking to them. If you really understand who you're talking to, you can still give that special experience of a webinar. Um, and then the urgency, um, you can still offer, you can obviously offer a seven day window, um, a discount. Um, so those things. And then the last thing, which I probably realized I should have started with, is that if you're going evergreen, um, you need to build optimization into, into it from the start. So the evergreen funnel that I've designed is called Day One Evergreen. And the idea is you don't need to live launch a bunch of times to go evergreen. You can do it from day one. If you build feedback into your funnel and you have a plan to review that feedback and then optimize your funnel accordingly so that it has the opportunity to convert better over time. What do you mean by that? Uh, op, you know, basically optimizing and building the feedback into it. How do you do that? Yeah, so I have various touch points across the funnel. Um, as an example, thank you page surveys, a huge fan of them. Um, at the moment, I'm getting like 70% response rates on my thank you page. And this, I think this question was coined by Joanna Weeb. I've tried to think of my own version, but it it just doesn't, it doesn't work as well. And the question is, um, what was going on in your life that brought you here today? And with that question, I'm getting just these raw answers people telling me about the and this so this is uh, I should have started by saying this is on on my course where I'm contesting the system but people so people are saying um about like missed sales and the pain of that and they're using all this emotional language so I'm now understanding that the audience that is buying this course are people that have been burnt before they're not people that are motivated necessarily by like the six-figure promises and all that because they've kind of been sold that before been burned by it and where they're coming in now is kind of this position of like vulnerability so I can take that understanding and build that into my messaging so taking a more kind of empathetic approach rather than um just honing in on like how much money they can make that kind of thing um and then Q&A emails um actually giving people the opportunity to ask their ask questions why don't you buy um why don't you buy a survey at the end to find out what what objections they had um and then organizing these into a messaging guide um which i say i have it on a spreadsheet and i put all of this in the end of the month i put it in um and then i review my funnel and i look where these messages can be applied um to in, like in, yeah, improve conversions basically yeah that's that's really cool i wonder if you can take me through an example of I'm working on a live launch. So I have mm -hmm. the live launch copy that I've worked on with a client and I now want to evergreen it with my client. You've shared some, some good ideas already, but is there anything else I should be aware of as I'm shifting to evergreen with my current copy other than like definitely adding that feedback into the feedback loops? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So the feedback loop, um, crafting making sure that it's an offer in a time window um so the what works best for me um like having tested different types of urgency is the discount um so rather than saying 
and the cart's only open for seven days um, because it's a self-paced course. People can enroll at any time. So um, actually saying in the webinar, um, hey, like, congratulations on taking this leap. That's awesome that you're here. I can see you're serious about X, Y, Z. So uh, to show you I'm serious about your success, here's a discount. Um, if you enroll in the next seven days, you can have it. Otherwise, you can still enroll in the course, but at full price. Um, so building that in and then I uh, using a tool like Deadline Funnel to set that up. Um, and then, da, 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 da. oh yeah, um, if you're going to be in charge of reviewing the funnel, I have like a sweep I suggest that you do kind of every six months to check dates. Like, is there anywhere you say like the, the best tips for 2022 that needs to go? Um, cultural references, if you're saying, um, you know, while you were binging, you know, the new series of The Last of Us. Is that what people are watching now? Probably not. Um, addressing cultural shifts. So um, maybe you're teaching a copywriting course, but you have like no mention of ChatGPT. That doesn't make you seem the most relevant, fresh person um, to be teaching that. So um, yeah, just like things like that. You need to be you need to be aware and understand that it's it's not like a one and done. You don't set up an evergreen funnel and and leave it to run you need to be checking these things and constantly um experimenting and be willing to improve it uh, a quick question about tools you mentioned deadline funnels which obviously is the thing that adds the countdown timer uh you know to to a page are there other evergreen funnel tools that you highly recommend just because they work so well they're easy to keep updated make sure that the webinar is served properly all of that uh, kind of stuff Sure. I think when you're scaling, Easy Webinar is a good one because you can um, segment based on how much of the webinar people watched. Um, but when you're starting out, you don't you don't need that necessarily. Like you can just embed um, a video on a landing page. Um, you don't have to have kind of all the bells and whistles. Like Deadline Funnel is the one kind of fancy tool that I've like it's absolutely essential for this process but otherwise I mean my tech stack is lead pages um embedding my video on a landing page um deadline final and then yeah active campaign for emails I think that's pretty much it okay I also have a question about um pricing uh and mm. and I kind of want to like almost like look at the pricing um, changes that you've made over time. So you, when you started out mm. doing this, you know, what were you charging for a typical funnel versus what you're doing today? And I know there's all kinds of variation, you know, based off of the product and, and the elements, but just give us some broad brush strokes. Sure. Um, so I guess the mistake I made when I was starting out was offering it kind of like a piecemeal funnel. So I'd be like, oh, it's 500 for this piece, it's 500 for this piece, it's 1,000 for this piece, and then you end up kind of doing a full funnel for like 2,000, but you've spent three weeks researching it and putting it all together. Um, and then, I mean, I think I just, I incrementally put my prices up like I really did. I think I, when I started copywriting, I was like 21 low confidence had never had like a job or anything this was my first time and I didn't feel good about charging people much money for it but as I started getting results I just put it up and now I feel confident um billing five figures for a funnel because I know that it's gonna make them money and I, I know that um the 
my process is worth that and all the research I've done to put the process together and everything that allows me to create that funnel for them um, is worth that investment. And if you're comfortable getting even more specific as far as mm. like what you, what you charge and what is that, what does that include in total? Um, so for like an end to end evergreen funnel, it would be, um, between 10 and 15,000. And that would include, um, the opt-in page copy, basically the, every asset of the funnel. So opt-in page, um, the long form sales page webinar, um, the emails, um, all the segments of those emails, Facebook ad copy, um, and then, um, I like to have like a month or two period as part of that where I'm there to optimize and then they can put me on a retainer after that. Um, uh, da, 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 da. I feel like I, I'm missing something there. But yeah, that's the the gist of it. Yeah. So and then I'm curious about that retainer portion. So mm-hmm. obviously, if you're doing the optimization, you're, you know, you're looking at the responses that you're getting, say, after 30 days or 60 days or whatever, you're coming back to improve things. So um, so it's not just a one moment or one one uh, client at a time or in, in a, a moment, but you're actually, you have this opportunity to help them improve this maybe over six months, a year, maybe even longer. What does that part look like? Yeah, so um, the offer kind of pushing at the moment is it's a 2000 a month and then um, that's just to, to have me review the feedback from the feedback loop that I've built in um, and plug it back into the funnel um, into what I, I call conversion hotspots. So I I have uh, frameworks for each piece of the funnel and they're built around um, kind of so like, for example, crossheads is like I think of as a conversion hotspot because it's where the eye is drawn. So that's where the juiciest voice of customer goes. So when I'm reviewing the feedback, I'm looking the messages I can put there, I can front load into um, like bullet points and that kind of thing. So where it's going to actually have the biggest impact. Um, I haven't yet got a really good case study on um, the this optimization portion, but that's definitely my goal for this year. And just, I know I'm going back, but the, nice. feedback, loop, the feedback loops. Mm. So what else other than, okay, thank you page question. Um opt-out survey when not opt-out but when they haven't purchased a survey and then you mentioned another email where you're asking them a question or what else did I miss with the feedback loop yeah so let me so the opt-in page thank you page survey um I multivariate ad testing to see what messages people are responding to um and then the in the emails I have a Q&A email um asking yeah basically giving people the opportunity to to ask questions rather than just and I really recommend even when people are going to have like thousands of people going into that funnel having that opportunity because it's really great to identify where the gaps are um and then I a b test um email subject lines but not to see what performs best because I I kind of um, I believe that, you know, there are enough, enough formulas out there to get good open rates. Like, I don't think it's particularly fruitful for me to be testing what the best open rate um, subject line is. But what is fruitful is testing messages, just testing pain points against each other to see what kind of pain points are resonating most. And then if you're getting like a, a 50% open rate on an email that meant that 
leads in with one pain point versus 25% of the other, then you can think, okay, what? how comes I'm leading on my sales page with this message when clearly um, actually it's the the other pain point that that's resonating with people. So um, yeah, um, and then the thank you page survey on the sales page probably gets the best feedback because that's when people are in that seducible moment where they've just bought the course, they're excited. Um, and engaging in in Facebook groups. So I have a Facebook group for my course. Most course creators do that. What questions are people asking? Um, what kind of breeding a um, celebratory kind of vibe in the group where people celebrate wins? That's that's great. So really encouraging people to talk about what's going on and fostering kind of just an open open conversational kind of uh so then you can actually yeah you can see how people are getting on with the course what they if there's anything they thought was missing what results they're getting and then you've got opportunities to ask for testimonials um actually in the course lots of platforms have end of module surveys there there are so many opportunities to get feedback and i mean my favorite one is just actually emailing students and saying hey want to have a coffee with me I've got some questions about the course and I'm happy to give you some feedback on your funnel in in, in return and just having those candid conversations um sure it's not super scalable but it it works it, it get, gives you those messages that are gonna um, improve your conversion so yeah so a lot of this is the stuff you're collecting on the back end. Is there anything on the front end before you start the writing that is unique, you know, in the research that you're doing, the people you're reaching out to or what you're looking for? Or is it pretty much the same stuff, but you're just doing it earlier on? Um, yeah, I mean, I I follow kind of the conversion copywriting process. I think um, a lot of that is more orientated towards SaaS maybe. So I have made kind of tweaks for course creators. I Facebook groups, I mean, I'm just, I'm a big fan of Facebook groups, but I get um, so much juicy voice of customer from there. Um, looking at um, testimonials from competitor courses um, and also looking, see if people Googling that course and seeing any kind of bitchy blog posts people have written about what they didn't get from that course so that you can then mention that on your sales page um and yeah customer interviews I mean I just I don't think you can beat that when it comes to getting voice of customers actually just speaking to people um, and asking them what's going on and what their um yeah challenges are etc so to shift to your business now what mm. how do you juggle all of this right you're you know your your business is doing really well you're landing these projects in Facebook groups and beyond how do you look at your time as a business owner and not just a copywriter today so that you're hitting your goals and building the business that you want? Um, good question. I think uh, I haven't mastered that balance yet. Um, <laughs> tricky. Some, yeah, some months I promote the course and I do less client work and because I, I don't have a big audience and it's only actually the last year if I'm honest I've really started thinking about long-term growth I've definitely prioritized short-term wins um and I think so my trajectory has been very kind of upward it's been each year has been better than the last and then that stopped last year and I made less money and I was more burnt out um and I've had to kind of rethink and I think the conclusion I've come to is I can't keep chasing short wins. It's like short term wins is not sustainable. So 
yeah, I'm I'm okay if I if I make less money this year, but I come out with it with an ebook on like the product launch formula, but like the evergreen version, um, and I come out with it with an amazing case study on this, um, then I, I'll be pretty happy. And if I've grown my email list as well, because um, my my course is it's converting like my my funnel, but I just don't have the traffic going into it yet. Um, so yeah, just lots of different stuff to focus on and. For me, it just is a case of when I'm kind of into it, into doing one part of it, I'll do that and I'll be on fire for like promoting my course. Um, but then when I then I'll want to do shift back to the client stuff. Um, and I love hearing from other copywriters how they find the balance because it is just a. <laughs> it's that's why we, it's, that's why it's we keep easy. asking. We keep it's asking. <laughs> I kind of have two questions and you can choose the option that you want. So I okay, read I love on, it. Leave on your website that you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and you mentioned chess earlier. So yeah. you could choose either one, but I'm curious if there's a business lesson that you have pulled from either one or bonus if you can answer a business lesson that you pulled from both. Okay. Um Oh my goodness. I love this question so much that I want to give an amazing answer, but I, <laughs> I don't know. Take your time. Take your time. I mean, we can edit. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, Buffy is this amazing, like, I mean, she's a vampire set. She's just this badass, like, woman. And, you know, she she's stunning. She has these sexy vampire boyfriends. She's got all the like friends she saves the world she's amazing but she she's vulnerable and she's not afraid to show when she's vulnerable um and I think that's what makes Buffy so endlessly relatable and vengeable is that even though she is like a hero she's also sometimes she's just like a confused like young woman and you know I, <laughs> I'm a confused young woman <laughs> a lot of the time so and it's it's okay like in business I don't have to be like I don't have to always be like the hero with all the answers like sometimes it's okay to just be like you know what I'm gonna just go to my watcher um <laughs> that's like if in Buffy so she would go to Giles but I would just go yeah like just switch back to learning mode and see what's going on see what more I can like learn from the situation I don't have to yeah be the vampire slayer all the time sometimes I can just be a girl trying to figure it out <laughs> Nailed it. I love that. Do you want to address chess or do you want to leave chess out? I mean, it? chess is just, it's it's a game of problem solving, isn't it? Like the, that's, I think that's honestly like copywriting is the perfect job for me because I'm a creative writer, like I'm creative, but I'm also, I'm a big chess player. Like I've been doing chess tournaments like all my life. <laughs> I, I watch matches. I play pretty much every day. Like I'm chess obsessed. And I think that, yeah, with, with copywriting, it allows me to leverage kind of both those mindsets, the problem solver, the kind of data an analysis, and then the other creative. So yeah, I guess chess is just teaches me more about how my mind works. And so therefore I try to leverage it in copywriting. I feel like I'm, I might be bullshitting a bit. <laughs> I, I, also, <laughs> I also love chess. And I was going to say, we should play when, when we come to England next I know. month. But I'm I'll afraid you will, you will destroy me and, and I will have... <laughs> 
I will have like my self-esteem will be gone. Rob, we can play each other because we'll both be mediocre. It'll be like our ping pong games or our air hockey games where we're both so bad that yeah, it's (laughs) yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can uh, maybe connect and and see Abby. If somebody has been listening, they're like, Wow, Mm. I want to be like Abby, or I want to check out her course, or uh, just want to follow you, you know, on on social media, whatever. Where should they go to connect with you? Sure. So LinkedIn is probably where I'm most active. Um, I'm not fantastic at being consistent on social media. So, but you you can connect with me on LinkedIn. And I love connecting with copywriters. Like if if you ask me, like message me and just say, hey, this is what's going on in my business. Do you have any advice? I'm happy to give that. Like I love giving back to the copywriting community. Um, and then yeah, just go on my website have a look um there's you can watch my webinar on there about the evergreen uh day one evergreen and you've i've also got uh the know my copywriter starter kit on there which is a um course on how to get into copywriting if you're starting out so i'd say website linkedin best places to go can we can we call you abby the evergreen slayer Oh my goodness. <laughs> can you? <laughs> Please. Can everyone call me that from now on? <laughs> wow. Done. What a note to end on. <laughs> That's the end of our interview with Abby Prendergast. As usual, I want to expand on just a couple of the ideas that we talked about during the interview and hopefully give you just a little bit more to think about as you apply some of these ideas into your own business. First of all, there was a little discussion at the beginning about Abby's experience with Upwork, uh, you know, breaking the rules and, you know, why she was kicked off the platform. If you want to use Upwork effectively in your business, I highly recommend you go and listen to episode number 315 of the Copywriter Club podcast. That's our interview with Rob Perry. Rob is, has, has built an amazing business only on Upwork without a website, without any other kind of assets in his business and has created uh, a business that has uh, you know helped him to travel the world um, earn six figures a year and so you definitely want to go back and listen to what rob had to share about making upwork work uh, if you're not if you're not interested in working on upwork then that's fine skip that um, but the next thing that abby mentioned that i think is really interesting was her use of facebook groups now this has come up a bunch of times on the podcast Lots of copywriters have talked about how they got their start doing things like what Abby was doing in Facebook groups, you know, offering an audit or sharing information. But I think oftentimes we've gotten the sense from those guests that they don't really do it that anymore. That's how they got started. But then they moved on to other ways of connecting with clients. And, you know, it was interesting to hear Abby talk about how literally last week she landed three different clients still using that tactic, still using it in Facebook groups. And so I think this is, you know, where so many copywriters are struggling to connect with clients that they want to work with. This is something that more of us need to be doing, not in copywriting groups, but finding groups where your clients are hanging out. They're, they're going to be niche groups or industry groups or you know, some, whatever it is that you can help them do. For Abby, it's course creators. For someone else, it might be you know, SaaS product makers or, or perhaps you know, email, uh, a, a Facebook group based around particular tools like email providers or you know, that kind of a thing. And then Abby's advice to pick a fight with common knowledge, I think, is really good. You want to be able to stand out. You can't just be the person in there saying the same things that copywriters say all the time. On the other hand, you don't want to be somebody who's totally crazy. And and so having a case study or picking a fight with common knowledge and, and flipping the script a bit, helping them see 
a different side of a common assumption is a really good way to get them thinking about you as an expert in whatever that space is that you work in. Uh, Abby mentioned getting a case study, but uh, she kind of, she mentioned also uh, finding other science that you can share. So if you don't have a case study, you can go to a site like Marketing Sherpa. Uh, and there are others, you know, where you can uh, find, you know, Google Scholar is one, and, and there are others where you can find studies, research applicable to persuasion, to marketing, to uh, decision infrastructure and choice architect. Sure, uh, there are sites that do that. Find that information and start sharing it with potential clients in Facebook groups. So, uh, just to wrap that up, because I think it's still an idea that works, and it's something that more copywriters need to be doing. I also loved what Abby said about investing in yourself. Uh, the switch in mindset that she made—you uh, know, even friends wouldn't understand that she was starting to spend on her business and on a mastermind, on you know, investing in things that would help her grow and help her do things in her business differently. And that mindset shift from freelancer to business owner is something that we talk about in depth in the copywriter accelerator in the underground membership and even in the copywriter think tank uh, investing in those kinds of programs can be a game changer and it might not be a program for from the copywriter club it might be something else but whatever you invest in it's it's critically important that you make that mindset shift and treat your business like a business and not just a hobby that you do on the side, right? Abby left a job in order to create space to build that thing that she wanted to build. And it's the same mindset, right? It's creating space for things to happen in your business. And part of that is investing in your skills, in a network, in mentors who can help you grow faster than you think possible. And of course, our discussion on Evergreen Funnels, there's so much that we can add here and talk about. Uh, launch failures are real. And with launches, everything rides on the success. And when you have a bad launch uh, or you know, have a show up rate of you know, 3%, like that is really scary to a business owner. And when that happens, oftentimes we need to take a step back because the initial reaction is, well, the copy isn't good enough. But in most cases, that's not the case. It's usually not the copy. In fact, you've probably heard us talk about in the past the formula, the direct response formula, 40-40-20, which is that 40% of the success of any offer, anything, any promotion that you're doing is the audience. It's the list. It's the people that you're able to talk to and attract to see the sales page, see the email, see whatever it is where you're making that offer. 40% of the success is also the quality of the offer. Is the offer structured in a way that it's a no-brainer? Have you removed the risk? Have you made it desirable? Does it actually solve a problem that the people on the list have? If you're talking to people who don't have that problem, then you're talking to the wrong list and the matter how good the offer is, it's not going to work. And then the last 20% is the copy. It is the messaging. But that's only 20%. Oftentimes, the failure is that other 80%. And so sometimes it's worthwhile to take a step back and look at what's going on with the entire promotion. Are we talking to the right people? Are we making the right kind of offer? How can we improve the offer? It's less about the copy. But clients still will often, you know, blame the copy, you know, the copy was the problem. And, and so having that strategic mindset and approach may help you when things look like they might not be going right. Oftentimes, it's smart to take an approach and look at the, uh, the promotion and the offer before you start writing copy, because if you get a sense that the offer is wrong for the audience or the offer isn't a no brainer, you might be able to help the client 
improve them before you even start writing copy. That's one of the roles of copywriters as problem solvers, as opposed to uh, an order taker who just shows up to write the thing that the client asks for. Uh, obviously, a live launch creates urgency because it ends, and when it ends, you can't buy it again. And so, you know, with a an evergreen offer, we need to create that urgency. And I appreciated what Abby shared about doing that. Offering a discount that does expire uh, is a great way to do that. And oftentimes, that discount because it's not only creating uh, some real urgency, but it's also offering that additional value of the discount will perform better than. You know, countdown timers and and other things. Uh, I, I, it was interesting, you know, the the study that Abby quoted about um, the watch rates and the show up rates for webinars in an evergreen uh, funnel. Sixty five percent versus forty percent for live. I think the reason that that happens is because with the evergreen funnel, people are choosing the time to show up. You know, if you search for, you have a need, you have a problem you need to solve, and you search for the solution, and that solution is presented to you during the search and like, oh yeah, this is the program that will help me solve that problem. With an evergreen launch, you don't have to wait until next week to watch the webinar or or maybe even longer, right? You can watch it now or you can set the time here in the next day or two in order to get that information. And because of that, those watch rates go up. And so from that standpoint, you're almost uh, increasing the the people who can engage with your promotion by more than 50%. So again, it's just another great reason to think about evergreen launches uh, as opposed to live launching. Uh, also really appreciate what Abby shared about testing pain points. Oftentimes when we talk about testing, we are talking about subject lines, which as she pointed out, it's just not that helpful, but pain points understanding what people are really feeling, what they're going through, the the problems that they're struggling with, what's keeping them up at night, all of those things uh, help us connect with them and empathize with them in ways, new ways, better ways as we test those. And so, yeah, another, just one of the things that I wrote down, it's like, yep, I'm going to do more of that. Um, so anyway, that, I think I've been going on uh, enough about all of that. We want to thank Abby for joining us to chat about her business and creating Evergreen Funnels. We appreciate such applicable advice that copywriters can use to sell their own products as well as their clients' products. If you want to connect with Abby, go to LinkedIn and message her there, Abby Prendergast, or check out her website at aptcontent.net. Uh, both both places are great places to connect with her. And just a quick reminder that we are coming to London for a one day in real life event. That means we're going to be there in person. It's not video. It's a great way to connect, build your network, make new friends. Uh, we're going to be there on October 25th. 2023. And if you're in the UK or if you're in the Europe area and you can get yourself to London in October, we would love to hang out with you in person and even work on your business with you. You can find out more information about that event and get your ticket at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash London. And of course, you don't have to be in Europe. You can come over from the States like Kira and I are uh, to join us there. We would love to hang out and meet you in person. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of this show. Don't miss our other podcast at AIforcreativeentrepreneurs.com. You can also watch that on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts. We want to thank you again for being here, for listening to what we had to share and we will see you next week.
Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.